You are listening to For the Love of Giving podcast. I'm your host, Tara Ray Bradford, and this is episode three. In this episode, we will be covering what drives your generosity, how to tell if your generosity is driving you, the signs of generosity fatigue, and what generosity in action looks like. Be sure to stick around until the end because I'm going to share a peek at what you have to look forward to in the next episode. You are listening to For the Love of Giving, a podcast with Tara Ray Bradford. On this show, we empower natural born givers to reach new heights of achievement while changing the world for the better, just by using your innate gifts. What drives your generosity? The key to giving responsibly rather than being responsible for giving is to understand what drives it. Throughout the next six episodes, I'm going to share with you the ways you can get in the driver's seat of your generosity so you don't feel drained, exhausted, empty, and burned out as a giver. This is also going to help you go from unconscious giving, which means just giving to anyone, anywhere, anytime, and wondering why karma hasn't come back around to give to you, to conscious giving, where you're being a little bit more intentional about who you give to, what you give, and when to give. Let's start by talking about the science behind generosity. Naturally generous people sometimes prioritize the needs of others over the needs of their own without even recognizing it. You're a rare gem because decades of research has shown that human nature has a tendency towards selfishness and aggression. An example of this would be if you think about the last time you went to a networking event or were in a situation where you met someone new and they asked you one question about yourself. What do you do? And you responded with your job title only to find them get carried away with all of the things they know about what you do. Then you know what I'm talking about. I remember when I first moved to New York City and I scrolled through Facebook to see who I knew who lived here and I found two people. One of those people I hadn't spoken to in 13 years. So I had to get out there and meet people, even as an introvert. I tried to go to meetups and found people always asked the same question. What do you do? To which I replied, I'm a nurse. And then they started telling me, I have an aunt who's a nurse or a sister who's a nurse or I know a nurse. Or, I was in the hospital once and my nurse was so nice. And then they would go on and on and on about their experience with a broken leg. Basically, every experience they had had with nurses suddenly came pouring out of their mouths. So I would agree that we have a natural tendency to talk about ourselves and our own experiences because it's what we know. And I think deep down, we're really trying to connect with each other. What happens, though, is disconnection because the person you're trying to figure out doesn't get a chance to speak. They don't feel understood or heard, and you walk away from the event, never speaking to each other again, carrying a stack of business cards. Since the natural tendency is for humans to talk about themselves or be selfish, then why do some of us shy away from talking about ourselves? Generosity research suggests that it may be an evolutionary adaptation 
to help promote our survival as givers. So we're highly adaptable. The truth is, we're all biologically wired for generosity. It's why giving feels good. Acting generously activates the reward center of our brains the same way Helen Fisher's TED Talk about the brain and love describes or eating chocolate or anything else that makes you feel happy. So you might be wondering, if giving feels good, is it selfish for me to give? Not exactly. There is a tie between generosity and altruism, or the selfless concern for the well-being of others. In a 1981 study that later led to the empathy altruism hypothesis, college student participants watched another student receive electric shocks and were given the chance to help her by volunteering to take the remaining shocks themselves. The result was a positive correlation between motivation to help and level of empathy, which means Regardless of how many times the participants saw the subject being shocked, their propensity to help was the same. In comparison, the students in the low empathy group were more likely to help if they had to watch the subject being shocked more times, suggesting they only volunteered to help in order to alleviate their own pain of having to watch something like this happening. The empathy altruism hypothesis published in 1991, states that empathy evokes truly altruistic motivation, motivation with an ultimate goal of benefiting not the self, but the person for whom the empathy is felt. So generosity is not selfish when you have high levels of empathy. For the empathic givers, you get a secondary benefit because giving is actually good for your well-being. Giving social support, such as time, energy, or donations of goods, is associated with better overall health in older adults, and volunteering can prolong your life. There's also a link between generosity and happiness, quality of life, vitality, and self-esteem. Generosity in the workplace can reduce burnout, and generosity in relationships is associated with more contentment and longer-lasting romantic partnerships. Some of the other traits of natural-born givers besides empathy include compassion, humility, and agreeableness. The key to maintaining levels of generosity that are helpful to your well-being lies in understanding what drives your generosity. As with any strength, when it is overdone, it can and will become a weakness. Because of this, naturally generous people are also prone to generosity fatigue or burnout when we put ourselves in caregiving roles. Sometimes the caregiving role is real, such as being the caregiver for a partner or parent who can no longer take care of himself or herself. And sometimes the caregiving is imagined, such as believing someone else's life depends on you even though that person is capable of taking care of himself or herself. This could happen when a partner says they can't live without you, and what they mean is they might consider hurting themselves if you break up with them. Another way 
caregiving could be imagined and real at the same time, or as I experienced as a young critical care nurse, is believing if someone died in the hospital, it was my fault. I didn't do enough or help enough or give enough. It's from my decade-long career in critical care nursing, being part of some of the most vulnerable days of thousands of people's lives, combined with my last four and a half years of coaching givers to gain the confidence they need to be fulfilled in their lives and careers, that I bring you these tips to help you discover how to drive your generosity in a healthy way that promotes your well-being. These skills you can learn will put you in the driver's seat so you understand where your desire to give comes from so you don't feel drained of your energy by the people you're helping, so you stop wondering when someone is going to turn around and help you, and so you can discover the true meaning of giving abundantly, which is not the same as giving until you have nothing left to give. Here are some signs you might be experiencing generosity fatigue. Your relationships have become transactional where you're only helping people who offer to help you too because you don't know how else to keep giving at the same rate you've been giving. Or you've stopped giving altogether because you feel you have nothing left to give. You might be preoccupied or worried with the well-being of others. You're tense and stressed. You minimize or suppress your own needs and emotions because others need more help than you do. Maybe you feel overloaded, overwhelmed, and exhausted. You could even fall behind in your own work or stay late because you're so busy helping other people with their work. And sometimes you face a lot of conflict in your personal life and you feel like you have to tough it out and put on a happy face at work and pretend like everything's fine. So what can you do to start feeling better? Giving and generosity looks like such an outwardly focused thing because you're actually doing something for someone else. But over the next five episodes, I'm going to challenge you to look inward and ask yourself, what is driving my generosity? The next episode is called, How Do I Know Who to Give To? If you've been helping everyone you know solve any problem, this one is for you. In this episode, I'm going to teach you how to know who to give to, what to give, and when to give to them. I hope you enjoyed this episode about what drives your generosity biologically, and stay tuned for more episodes on what drives your generosity emotionally so you can gain a greater sense of awareness about how you're giving and take control of it. You can check out the show notes and links for resources mentioned in this episode at terrarebradford.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening. And if you're looking for more support, I'm also a leadership coach for givers and have workshops on how to create a generous corporate culture. I'll put those links in the show note as well. I'm so happy you're here and I'm so glad I can serve you as the giver's giver and generosity advocate. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and leave me a review so more generous people like you can find the show. I hope you enjoyed our episode today. Please consider subscribing, sharing with a friend, or leaving us a review in your favorite podcast directory. 
Until next time, best of luck in all that you do, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode of For the Love of Giving.